Good evening, 15 and 60s time, traditional style here. We're going to go through all 15 teams. We are going to have a couple of truncated weeks in a row here because I'm going to my cousin's wedding in Argentina starting on Wednesday. So a two episode week this week and next, but we are going to endeavor to give you the full boat to our episode today with the 15 and 60. And the place I think to start here in the Western Conference is with the LA Lakers, a desultory loss to the Phoenix sons last night puts them in very precarious playoff position now only eight percent playoff odds according to 538 i did hear a criticism at the sloan conference that 538 is a little bit too aggressive in terms of ruling out teams that have been out or and conversely pumping up teams that are close to making it if you actually go back and run simulations but nonetheless it's the best shorthand that's available to us right now that actually updates right after the games are over so we will use that with the caveat that maybe it's not as dire or as certain as the case may be but eight percent playoff odds 30 and 33 three and seven since the last 15 and 60 negative 1.1 net rating overall on the season 21st on offense 14th on defense although that is fading quite fast here lonzo ball will be reevaluated on thursday and Lance Stevenson missed Saturday's loss with a toe sprain, although, as we'll get to, doesn't seem like he is the biggest loss in the world. So let's just talk about where they're at since LeBron returned on January 31st. He has played in 11 of 12 games since then, 4-8 and eight overall, 4-7 and seven with him in the lineup. The one game he missed was that game in Oakland. What have we seen from them? Why is it not working since he's returned and was supposed to write this ship? There are major concerns on both ends of the floor. It's also worth noting that they've gotten a really rough performance from their bench, you know, like the non-LeBron minutes or even just the non-LeBron, you know, like, cause I, I'm sure that there are some people who are throwing this on, you know, like, oh, look at all the trade stuff and Kuzma and Ingram and those guys. No, those guys have done pretty well. I, I, they haven't been the problem. It's really been a lot of other people, but when you're 28th in net rating in the, the cleaning the glass filter and you're 29th in yeah. defense. The, this is since LeBron returned. Since LeBron returned, you know, during that time, I mean, you have a lot of problems. It's not just one or two things. I actually am more concerned about their offense because, and to be in the 20s there, that to me indicates that they just, they don't have the talent as opposed to defensively. Oh, maybe player usage is could help out there. Maybe they're getting a little bit unlucky. Maybe they're just not trying. If they try harder, things would be better. If they had more cohesion, things would be better. Bad offense is very tough to overcome. And yeah, they haven't been shooting well, but that hasn't been the main, main issue. And they're shooting, you know, 35% from three. It's not like they're shooting just some unsustainably low 30% from three. They continue to shoot really well around the rim. Number two, in percentage of their field goal attempts at the rim number six in field goal percentage there so that's all healthy but they're actually not really getting to the foul line very much which is interesting you don't really have anybody on this team who's like kind of a trickster which sadly in today's nba you need players like that more than just simply attacking the room because teams are getting so good at verticality and also just the refs don't call as many fouls on drives to the basket as they used to right around the rim uh they're turning it over a ton a lot of that is because they're relying really on very difficult passes a lot of times when they have great passers rondo and lebron in particular but they're running all this stuff to try and get guys open near the rim they're throwing difficult passes those convert but they also are turning the ball over a fair amount also worth noting that despite that terrible
terrible net rating lebron's net rating is negative 1.7 since returning that's still one of the best on the team he still is really helping them quite a bit where they're getting killed rondo negative 18.2 net rating kcp negative 18.7 lance to the extent that he's played negative 14 with rajon rondo off the floor the lakers are actually plus 5.4 and this is with lonzo ball having missed all of that time and it's not a small sample rondo's played 350 minutes and he's been off the floor for about 230 minutes during that time period so i I think that he is a major part of the problem for them both defensively he's really really bad just provides almost nothing except the occasional loose ball retrieval and steal and offensively I mean he took 12 threes against Phoenix so he's willing to shoot it but it's still teams are not really guarding him and he's not been able to make them pay he also can't finish around the rim either that's another problem so especially when you're running everything through LeBron at the end of games why have Rondo out there it's it's bad enough when you already have ingram out there who although he's played very well with the ball in his hands still is not really a very willing three-point shooter if you're going to run everything through lebron and so having two guys who can't really shoot i mean that they now with this lineup they've been starting going away from the traditional center and then in the second half against phoenix they started javel and javel played well offensively but didn't help their defense they kind of have the worst of both worlds because usually when you go small you're spreading the floor there's all this shooting your offense looks really good but you can't stop anybody but because they are going with small non-shooters they can't stop anybody and they can't shoot either it's like the worst of both worlds right now yeah yeah it, it it's a, a big problem something I, I was just i happened to be on his lebron's page on cleaning the glass and this is just amazing over the last 10 years there has only been one exception where lebron was not in the top 10 percentile in both offensive rating and in um offensive net rating offense i'm sorry in terms of offensive rating differential so meaning on versus off the floor only one time and that time he was in the 80th percentile this year there are only a 110 offensive rating when he's on the floor that's 55th and then they're you know plus two point he's they're a little bit worse when he's off the floor in terms of offense but not nearly as extreme as like when he was on the Cavs or even when he was on the heat before that and i think both parts of that tell a kind of amazing story and i mean lebron is still a really really good player i i think to me when i watch him he doesn't seem like the same force that we have seen you know like not not on every game basis because it wasn't every game basis necessarily in cleveland though his offense was usually really really good but having worse talent around him totally changes the margins and also i mean just it's it's just such a strange collection of players that it's hard to make this mix work Let's play a little game here. And some of these obviously are going to overlap. But let's rating from 1 to 10. 10 being, yes, this is the abs- absolutely a huge reason. 1 being not that much. Let's rate the Lakers issues on a 1 to 10 scale in the following categories. Like, what's to blame? Player usage by Luke Walton. Okay, so that's who plays and when? Yes. I'm going to go... It depends on, on who's healthy and all that, but I'm going to go with an 8. I mean, Rondo being used with LeBron in the current iteration is a big problem and they it's not like the other options at a lot of these things are perfect but you know what josh hart what kcp what those guys bring is useful you know it can help with that and then i mean just getting a a cohesive identity you know i talk a lot about the theory of the lineup and there have been some collections of talent that the lakers have used that don't really have a good theory especially with lebron somebody we know how to build a lineup around because even though cleveland sucked on defense a lot the last couple years they could still put together teams that were dynamic and, and interesting and could could beat other 
teams yeah and it's not like they don't have ways to get good defensive players out there now certainly kcp is really disappointed josh hart has been struggling with this knee tendonitis reggie bullock since he's been there i think he's been about as advertised he is one of the better net ratings on the team since he arrived but yeah i mean to me rondo and lebron should almost never be playing together and now everyone loves rondo on this team right he's this great he turned himself into this great mentor and they feel like they need a point guard they're bringing him off the bench briefly but you know they're still playing him a ton and i'm not saying this is going to be a panacea either but to just say ingram james you guys are going to put the ball in your hands kyle kuzma maybe will let you attack secondarily i mean i like some of the stuff they're running we'll get to that um but no i think it's a major problem uh you know tyson chandler i guess they just decided he can't play anymore now after he was like their big savior at the beginning defensively they don't have zubach anymore so maybe you might try to get some minutes for mcgee as well but they have enough wings i mean they're just not playing kcp and hart hardly at all and you know i would dump stevenson as much as i could here also i mean mascala i mean i guess i could play him a little bit but i just don't think he's any good i mean that was just one of the most ridiculous trades we've seen in a long time i think mascala by the way five games yeah he had an ankle injury but uh he has a negative 26 net rating in 50 minutes that's not very good he was uh, luke walton doesn't seem particularly enamored of him so certainly he in the front office not really on the same page and when he gets fired they really won't be on the same page which is too bad i still think luke walton has some potential but you know i'm not sure that he is capable of dealing with some of the psychological issues so that, so that's yeah i would say player usage you know that's like an eight probably for me i mean there's certainly some things here that are not good so uh in terms of their personnel intangibles what would you rate that you know whether that's lebron kind of being mean to his teammates and checking out and not really trying or the fact that they tried to trade everyone and those people are are pissed off or that the vets are not playing enough and got get mad uh what do you think that what would you rate that that seems like a mid thing to me you know i'll go with a five i, I could vacillate anywhere between you know like four five or six there not being in the yeah. locker room it's hard what, to get a, a dis- whatever it is it's lower than the media says it is i think that's right. usually a good rule of thumb with these type of things well especially because the players who I, a lot of that narrative would be about you know like the guys who were bandied about in trade rumors yeah. have been playing well fine yeah, yeah, like those fine. guys aren't the problem. And, it, it, you know, like Rondo's been bad and he's playing plenty. So, you know, you get into that and then the center stuff, I mean, that's a completely different thing. I don't, maybe those guys, I think those guys have been less effective, but it's, I think that's more just regression to the mean rather than they're sad they're not starting or something like that. The front office acquisitions. 10. I mean, unambiguous 10. They, they had, I mean, once Paul George decided to go elsewhere, which is fine. You know, he did what he did. You knew you had LeBron. You knew you had X amount of cap space. At some point, I will write the piece about how much it was and how they divided it up and all that kind of stuff. But they pretty systematically, with the exception of JaVale, and I'm sure there, I think there's one other guy that I'm forgetting, because JaVale's for the minimum, you know, minimum guys that you can go either way. They, they chose players who did not make sense on a team that was built around LeBron James, and even more around a team that had LeBron, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, these other pieces, you know, those those to me even got it more strong that you want to go for lower usage guys that compete on defense and can can hit open shots or ideally intelligent enough to, you know, make the right plays and all that kind of stuff. You can look at Cleveland as an archetype if you want, but there are other ways to do it. And Rondo doesn't make sense with that mold. Lance Stevenson, Michael Beasley, just, and I mean, remember, they didn't start the season with Tyson Chandler. They basically started the season with JaVale McGee, Mo Wagner, 
at and Zubac at center. Now Zubac dramatically outperformed expectations, and that's another demerit. They traded their best center for no damn good reason. Yeah, Mike Muscala, another indication. Yeah, I mean you'd be. I mean I think KCP was a fine risk. You know who knows? We said Hart was struggling with tennis. KCP started off that way. He started playing a little bit better, but hasn't shot it as well as he did last year. And you know has made some boneheaded plays that have not ingratiated him to the fan base much. Uh, how about LeBron himself? Uh, just, I mean, obviously the groin injury, I and mean, that's not his fault in quotes necessarily, but you know that's part of his performance, missing time. You know, we didn't expect that because he that this is the longest injury absence of his career. Uh, I mean, I I would put it up there at about a seven or an eight there too, because he's really you know has not performed at the level that he was playing at certainly in last year's playoffs. I mean, when is his last like absolutely dominating game? I mean, he's putting up his numbers as he often does, but he is not seem to be putting the team on his back i mean when's the last time he went to the post now he doesn't really have the option to do that. He, unfortunately he might be their best spot up shooter a lot of the time i mean he's actually shooting better from three than would have been expected uh the defense has, has definitely sucked the body language has sucked his interpersonal skills probably you know has not really ingratiated him to his teammates so i think that's been a big part of that he's you know now closer to looking like a top 10 player than the best player in the game and even during last year's regular season he wasn't you know the best player in the game so you take a little bit off of that and he's 34 and he had a groin injury that's not a huge shock this is hard it's hard the only thing i'll add is it's hard for me because lebron being that guy you know like theoretically would would probably have solved a lot of these things just because he he was so good but i don't think this year he has been you know in terms of the tangibles i don't think he has been that much worse than last year but you know last year's regular season was a lot more concerning before we saw what happened in the playoffs when he was absolutely amazing like we we had these conversations you know not to the the gravity that we've had them this year but we had conversations about you know like what if this isn't lebron anymore and then he was just he was the mvp of the playoffs even though they got swept in the finals and so i i have i think reconciling those is, is is something i wanted to acknowledge you know that he wasn't great in the regular season last year though a lot of these intangible things were taken in a very different direction partially because of the difference in circumstance well and remember too the Cavs basically had a neutral point differential last year they got to 50 wins because they're one of the best clutch teams ever and lebron had one of the greatest clutch seasons ever and that's never gonna quite be sustainable even if it is lebron james but of course the lack of spacing has made it harder for him and, and i think just the overall physicality it was also said that he didn't come in in amazing shape this year uh, as well so all of that i mean they're not that much worse really in terms of their point differential than the Cavs were last year when he's played it's just that they haven't had that crazy clutch performance uh the youngs I wouldn't put much blame on them at all uh the vets who are not LeBron ton of blame we talked about that the scheme is an interesting one they certainly have not had an identity they've yo-yoed back and forth playing bigs not playing bigs playing small switching not switching defensively I think it's definitely been a struggle they've missed Lonzo there too although any guard to say that he's the sole reason you're going from a top 10 unit to a bottom five unit you know that's pushing it a little bit especially because you know he wasn't he's playing like what 27 minutes a game or something like that so 
uh, 30 minutes game actually so i think the offensively it's not bad you know again this ties in with the player usage i loved the idea of when you remember they're going to run it down everyone's throats all year i mean when's the last time we talked about this like devastating lakers transition game like they've gotten away from that uh lonzo being out doesn't help much there either lebron's injury you know maybe not being in the type of shape that they wanted to be in uh and then i mean i do like what some of the stuff they run at the elbows with their great passers trying to get guys the ball against against mismatches under the hoop you know i think that's that's worthwhile to be sure you know so i don't think that like the offensive scheme in the half court is like a huge problem necessarily um but yeah so i mean it's uh it looks like pretty likely that they're about done here i mean the the clippers won again they have a crazy easy schedule spurs beat the thunder that was one with paul george out that they could have hoped the spurs would have lost they still got the kings in between them with this group too and they're projected they're what five games out and you know they're projected for 38 wins and it looks like 44 is what you're going to need to get in pretty gruesome right now yeah it, it doesn't look good for them especially because they have so many tough games remaining and they just have to they they have to play really well and they're not playing well right now. I mean, they just they just lost two just crushing, crushing games, and they don't have much time to to rebound and turn this around. Well, if you're a Laker fan, you probably need some alcohol to assist you while you're watching the games. Uh, at this point, Postmates can help you out there. They will deliver you just about anything: sushi, a breakfast burrito, red wine, stuff from the store, grocery delivery, whatever you can think of. Postmates will deliver that for you. You don't have to make any trips to the store. You don't have to know where the store is. It can be very geographic graphically challenged they'll deliver anything to you within the hour 24 hours a day 365 days a year they are the largest on-demand network with more than 25,000 partner merchants download the app on apple or android for free you can browse local restaurants and businesses and track your delivery which is nice these even got a little icon of whether like the delivery person is on a bike or in a car or on a motorcycle or whatever for a limited time postmates is giving our listeners 100 of delivery credit for our first seven days so essentially that can get you free deliveries more power to you if you can use up all that hundred dollars in the first seven days but you'll basically pay no delivery fees in your first seven days until you use up a hundred dollars of delivery fees which would be a, a massive massive amount so go crazy on postmates in that first week if anyone actually uses all that up i'd be impressed tweet me about that i, I would love to hear it download the app and you can use the code capspace easy to remember because we talk about it all the time on the program that's code capspace for $100 in free delivery credits for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Get anything you need, anytime you need it. Download Postmates, save, and let them know that you came from us with that cap space code. All right, we're just going to jump around at random here. Have some fun with this. Where do you want to go next? Since it's a game I know you want to spend some time on, let's let's do OKC and Memphis kind of together. I'll do the I'll do the stats for OKC and then pray that I remember to do them for Memphis at some point during the conversation. The Thunder are now 39 and 24, 6 and 5 since the last 15 and 60. Plus 4.8 net rating puts them 7th in the league. They are 5th, sorry, 15th in offensive rating third in defense and part of the reason i wanted to do them is also because their 538 projections give them 51 wins which it's not just a tie for third it's third fourth fifth and sixth are all tied at 51 wins in the projections right now which is wild and they're going to make the playoffs just like all the best teams in the west are and yeah i mean well it's actually before we get into that uh just a note on markeith morris he has now played in six games as a member of the thunder and has his role has bounced around a little bit with injuries and ineffectiveness but he's playing 18 minutes a game 
six games, eight points, three rebounds, 35% from three, and, you know, about league average true shooting, 54% on 18% usage, and a very strong plus six net rating in his playing time. Yeah, and Paul George has missed those three straight games with shoulder soreness. Coming into tonight, the Thunder had been were shooting 26% from three. They upped that to nine out of 30, 30% in this game, although they had to get a flurry of sorts late. Memphis really should have won this game with about five minutes left. They led it 93-83, and you're basically getting to the point there where OKC has to pitch a perfect game, and they did. They scored 12 straight points. It wasn't even really an onslaught offensively. They're taking a, a number of pretty bad shots but enough of them went in and Memphis just missed 10 consecutive field goals didn't score again until they were already down four so yeah actually it was a 14-0 run excuse me for OKC to take it OKC's offense really struggled throughout this game though Westbrook had 22 points took 20 field goal attempts but 13 of those were three-pointers he was four of 13 from downtown four of six free throws but I don't recall any of them being on drives to the basket and he did not take a shot in side of 14 feet in this entire game uh in playing 36 minutes he Royce Young was speculating that he might be dealing with a hip issue and then he took a fall in the third quarter and looked to really be limping around after that we just did not see that sort of shot out of a cannon rim attacks that we normally see from him meanwhile Dennis Schroeder was not much better he had 17 points but it took him 24 shooting possessions to get there six assists for him only five for Westbrook that that was another problem for them Abdel Nader really saved them by hitting a few threes. He had 15 points in this one. He was their leading scorer for a lot of the time. I thought they actually could have gone to Steven Adams a, a little bit more. He had 13 points and 22 rebounds. At, and But his post-ups actually were pretty effective in this game. Though he, he had a few turnovers. But overall, Memphis defended extremely well. Ultimately, though, they just couldn't score down the end. Avery Bradley was doing it with smoke and mirrors. One of the best playmaking games I've ever seen from him. He had 27 points and seven assists which it wouldn't shock me if that's like relatively close to a career high i don't know he may have never even had double digit assists just because he's generally been an off-ball guy i mean he did nominally pay, play point guard early in his career but you know that was back in the days when he would like couldn't even bring the ball up you know he's obviously guarded point guards very well i can answer this yeah this seven assists tied avery bradley's career high yeah all right that's uh there you go so but he did turn back into a pumpkin late as they couldn't get anything done it, it was funny he had a number of plays i think it was two where he tried to sneak a pounce pass through to a guy in a side pick and roll and it was called a kick it was one of those kind of dubious kicks where the guy didn't really move his feet and then he actually turned it over late uh trying to throw that same pass when it wasn't it didn't actually hit the guy's foot before i forget about it something bizarre that happened in this game was there were two occasions when memphis stole an inbound and it just looked like okc was throwing in the ball and had no idea that there was anybody near it and memphis is wearing these like bright white uniforms you're wondering like how did that guy get lost in the shuffle one of them tyler dorsey drilled a three the other one i think it was delon wright missed an open three and i mean that would have been a pretty a pretty tough way to to lose this one when you consider all of the you know how much every single one of these games matters yeah because we as, as we know in the nba regular season every single game matters uh yeah i mean that that was a pretty rough sequence when you're talking about russell westbrook gets back cut for a layup and then steven adams just throws it away tyler dorsey intercepts it and hit a three tyler dorsey is on memphis by the way he was uh traded from the hawks who then immediately released shelvin mack in what just seemed like it was 
an incorrect ordering of transactions i didn't think markeith morris i mean they went with him as the backup center in the second half because they just needed something on offense they just couldn't score nerland snowball they, they needed just wasn't bad in the first half but he wasn't really a panacea for the offense and so they needed to spread the floor and get a little bit more it didn't really help them and he had a couple of jumpers but he's not looking very spry to me maybe it's the injuries maybe it's just that he's a little i mean he's not that old he's like 28 or something but he uh did not look to be particularly bouncy i've seen it in some other games there's been plays where you would have thought he would dunk it and he ended up laying it in so i don't know that he's gonna be a big help for this team i mean i think maybe you can give him some rotation minutes he only played 15 minutes even in this game and that's with paul george out as well he's playing almost exclusively as a big and this game also really laid bare as have their struggles since george has been out just how incredibly reliant they are on him for three-point shooting that you know i mean he's jacking up over 10 threes a game in a lot of these games and hitting 40 percent of them and they just don't have anyone else who can do that really when abdel nader is like your best three-point shooter in a game that's probably not a great thing he's he's improved actually um and hamadou diallo is down in the g league now nader's kind of stolen his rotation spot but they need paul george and they need him bad i mean there's a reason why they're plus 10 with george on the floor and basically negative 10 without him on the floor and you know Schroeder, westbrook those guys i thought the contrast and again maybe westbrook was dealing with an injury in this game but the contrast between this group that westbrook was playing with and the team he was playing with in 2017 i mean had pretty similar talent i would say and just the massive difference in his aggressiveness and ability to attack the rim and even you know the jump shot as well i mean part of part of his problem i think with the jump shot is he is settling for more jumpers now and more difficult jumpers that he can't hit because he's not attacking the rim as much he didn't we didn't see him in transition nearly as much so hopefully he'll be able to get healthy but this is i mean it's been a massive drop off the type of drop off you might have expected on someone that relying on athleticism as he nears uh, age 30 yeah i mean how russell westbrook's game progresses from this point is going to be a really important i mean it's going to be the definitive question as great as paul george has been this year in terms of where okc is in the title picture over the next couple of years especially when you consider that this team barring the unforeseen is going to be largely stable and a point i wanted to bring up i mean i'm sure there are people when you talk about okc's like shooting they're going to bring up that jeremy grant is, is making 38 percent of his threes this year but when a player takes as few as he does opponents aren't sitting there freaking out you know they'll they'll largely concede it or they can get there late enough and think they're affecting the shots and so you're not getting as much of the benefit of that theoretical 38 percent worth noting he's 32 percent for his career and so i i, I want i wanted to note that though because i'm sure some people are going to talk about it also we should note that mike Conley didn't play in this game was listed as general soreness and so that put a lot more on bradley's shoulders a lot more on delon Wright's shoulders and then javon carter was their second unit point guard and i was not particularly inspired by his ability to lead a capable offense even though okc has wonderful defensive talent of course yeah i mean the jump shot just is not there and i didn't see him make a huge difference defensively in this game either i thought Wright looked okay he missed a couple of wide open corner threes in the fourth quarter though that really could have changed the game including one late i thought bickerstaff had an interesting decision okc goes up by two they've got 31 seconds left he called his last time out and probably wasn't enough time for the two for one especially considering they wouldn't have had a timeout after he called it but i think he wanted to just make sure because they hadn't gotten much i mean they're, they're working on oh for 10 in a row at that point but he actually set up a play i think he really wanted to get the three-pointer as well and they got the wide open three it was a nice play they ran that golden state basically the head tap play where they get it into the post and then the center screens away to bring their best shooter in this case avery bradley uh towards the wing for a three bradley drove and then he set up that wide open corner for you 
three from right that he just couldn't hit um Jonas Valanciunas had a nice game in this one I thought they could have tried to get to him it's just he he's always it's always been tough to enter the ball into the post him and then he's never been the greatest passer OKC had some success fronting him late in the game so they couldn't get it into him but he did at least when he got the ball down there I mean he is a big boy like he actually went through Steven Adams a couple of times which was pretty impressive Bruno Cavaclo and he doesn't look awesome he's just he's kind of slow afoot he's not incredibly intense but he does have a 7-7 wingspan and he can hit some shots okay from three like he's looked like an NBA player uh the ball's got to go in for him obviously it's a small sample but he's looked like an NBA player he's been starting at the three a lot of the time for them Chandler Parsons played 16 minutes got called for a lot of fouls some of them were pretty dubious he's wearing this big knee brace Uh, but he does provide an element of just someone who can run a little bit of a pick and roll just like a poor man's Joe Ingles type of guy for this team that they just really need CJ Miles is loving being on this second unit just jacking up as many shots as possible in the second quarter when they just had no one else he got hot for a little bit but then uh cooled off if I don't ever have to see Joakim Noah like try and dribble the ball again I would be happy uh you know he I don't think he's been particularly effective uh, for them hopefully Jaron Jackson will get back at, at some point soon he's been out with that quad injury making them uh, a difficult watch they I mean they did have a great win over Dallas they beat him by 30 last night uh I have no I didn't watch that game but I have no idea how that happened and you'd like to see maybe they could get like one more offensive rebound like they've got four offensive rebounds in this game the OKC is a good rebounding team but I think they could have maybe done a little bit better so that's about all I got uh, Uh, I have one thing yeah Justin Holiday's all the way up to 20 I think he's 28 percent now on threes as a member of the Memphis Grizzlies I mean one of those early moves when they thought they were you know maybe in the mix and I mean we've seen where it went now you know if they were if they were closer maybe they would be playing their players more maybe they would have structured it differently but that always felt like a more distant dream but yeah those those two second round picks might end up being significant for them and I'll go through their fundamentals before I forget the Grizzlies are now 25 and 40 4 and 7 since the last 1560 25th in net rating dead last in offense and a strong sixth in defense 538 projects them to win 32 games which would be 14th in the west and would also be importantly the sixth worst record in the NBA they are kind of clearing a little bit of space in the loss column between the Grizzlies sorry between the Wizards and the Hawks depending on how all those things sort of shake out and obviously they're not going to make the playoffs yeah and for those who need a refresher that pick they owe from the Jeff Green trade to the Boston Celtics top eight protected this year top six next year unprotected in 2021 and still I think there's a lot of reasons to be torn about trying to keep that pick now I mean I guess you always say you never know what's going to happen next year so if you have the chance to keep it this year you might as well you know generally I think the trend has been that when teams have kept the pick one year that usually they get a little bit better and don't end up giving it up the next year you know the Warriors for a perfect example that in 2012 versus 2013 uh but this team could get a lot worse next year very easily maybe Jaron Jackson takes a big step forward who knows if Mike Conley will still be here if they want to trade him it probably would make sense to get rid of that obligation and 2020 is supposed to be a stronger draft than this year as well updating here we're going to try and do this throughout this show of just some stats from guys who are on the noteworthy at least who are on new teams Dale on right nine points three assists five rebounds 28 minutes a game since the trade true shooting is ugly 48 percent, only 17 percent usage which is not amazing pretty close to where he was in toronto but he's only five out of 25 on threes and that's actually coming into today i think so 
No, that's if updated he... after today. Oh, okay. All right. So so if he hits threes at more of his normal rate, he's probably right about the same guy it was in Toronto, which is, you know, I'm not. that's not a starting level of player necessarily. And he's getting into well into his mid-20s at this point. I think he might be 27 when free agency hits. He's 23 when he's drafted. Uh, CJ Miles hasn't hit scored that well. 47% true shooting. Valanciunas has been his usual self. 27% usage, 62% true shooting. That's pretty damn good. That's actually probably providing them a little bit more offensively maybe than Gasol was uh, in terms of scoring which is really more what they needed and Avery Bradley has been awesome 31 minutes started all nine games he's played 59% true shooting 23 usage 17 points four rebounds and and four assists he's been passing it pretty well for this team uh where do you want to go next here we can do a quicker one and that's funny considering they're the number one team in the in the conference but the Golden State Warriors 44 and 19 seven and four since the last 15 and 60 they are second in net rating first in offense 12th in defense they are projected to to win 59 games which would the current projection would put them five games clear of denver's projection for best in the west but it would put them tied with the raptors for the second best record in the league so in a theoretical finals matchup with milwaukee they would not have home court um also worth noting that clay thompson missed saturday's win over philadelphia with right knee soreness we don't have a timeline like if he's going to miss further time durant had previously missed the loss to Orlando due to rest, and Kavon Looney was unavailable due to right pelvic soreness. His absence and ineffectiveness has opened up minutes for Jordan Bell, which I actually think is a significant takeaway from this road trip that Bell has really established himself as a useful part of the rotation again after being marginalized. And the fact that it happened after DeMarcus Cousins returned or de- debuted is far more surprising because he had a, he had theoretically a greater opportunity earlier in the season. Yeah, to follow up on Looney, apparently that soreness is the result of some kind of a contusion, hopefully nothing related to the fact that he had surgery uh, on both hips uh and then you mentioned cousins you know his stats are kind of about what they've always been 28 percent usage 56 percent true shooting probably would get better if he could hit some threes uh, started all 16 games he's played averaging 25 minutes a game i thought it was noteworthy in the philly game that he did not close he was scoring very well he had over 25 points for the second straight game but he got lit up offensively when they went to mike scott and so they actually closed it with damian lee rather than him and andre Goodall, you mentioned clay was out so interesting that even with clay out cousins did not close it and i was surprised that no one really asked that question of kerr and asked that question of cousins of like hey you had 25 points like how do you feel about sitting out at the end of the game he said he wanted to switch a little bit more maybe against philly that's realistic against houston perhaps less so but you know 28 usage for cousins i mean that's like pretty massively high a little bit lower than he was in his new orleans and sacramento years when he was one of the higher usage big men that we've seen but 56 percent true shooting hey that's not bad it's a little about league average maybe a little bit above high usage like that that's not bad right well yeah it is because this is one of the greatest offenses of all time and you're taking shots out of the hands of guys who are being more efficient i mean the the warriors of the highest offensive rating in basically recorded history this year so if you're now going to just take 28 percent of possessions when he's on the floor and give them to someone who's going to score at a league average rate and is also someone who turns it over a reasonable amount as well yeah your offense is going to be as good as that's really where it seems like the bigger decline has been and the stats back that up they do i mean cousins hasn't you know the numbers with him i think now he's better in off the numbers are better on offensive rating when he plays with the four all-stars than damian jones they're still worse than with with looney on the floor or iguodala of course that lineup and and i mean saying that the demarcus cousins included five is worse 
than the one with Andre Godala is not a surprise, but that is a really important thing for where this team is going because Kerr is going to have to be comfortable at some point, and we don't know when they're going to be threatened in the Western Conference playoffs. It probably will happen at some point, and then of course in the NBA Finals because of how good whoever comes out is going to be should the Warriors make it that far. But I mean, Cousins, we saw it pretty cleanly in the Philly game, but it was also really true in the Orlando loss. Like in, in the Orlando loss, they just they looked so much more comfortable attacking him. It just gives you a place to go. And when the Warriors are at their best defensively, they don't really give you that. I mean, Curry's the weak point in their five-man lineup, but teams don't really go after him in the same fashion. You could just like run a high pick and roll. There are lots of ways to go after a bad center. I mean, we've seen it from various guys all over the all over the course of it. And Cousins, one of the things that was so striking and, and I guess you could say frustrating, if, you, if you're a Warriors fan, you definitely would, was when he was leaving Mike Scott in particular, it did happen with Jonah Bolden, when he wasn't doing anything to help other yeah. places. It was just, oh, I'm there's a guy in the lane. I'm going to go in the lane, even though I'm not really deterring anything. And then yeah, my guy's like wide open ben for three. Ben Simmons one-on-one against Draymond Green. Like, you got to trust Draymond Green to make that stop. Yeah, and that is a difference when you've played on, you know, mostly bad teams. Last year's New Orleans team was was talented and, and had I stakes, but he missed the second half of the year is, you know, trusting your teammates when you have Draymond Green in, in that sort of a situation. And like in the Orlando game, I thought, you know, it's justified given that you're playing the long game, but Kerr switching away from Bell to go back to Cousins at the end of the game was one of the things that cost them the game. You know, like I think if they had kept Bell in, they would have won because they were actually defending well and they didn't need Cousins' offense because they had Steph Curry, even without Kevin Durant, they had Curry, they had Clay, they had Iguodala. And it's interpersonally, it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge. Cousins seems very well liked. Of course, he was brought in, took, he feels like he took less money. I don't know what, what offers were on the table at the time he chose it, but that's, you know, they're going to have to figure this out because the Warriors are insanely good, but against the best, the best, they're not good enough to overcome this, like these limitations unless Cousins, you know, they're, they unlock when he's better physically and they can just, they just get more time. Then he starts making life easier on Curry and Durant rather than take Taking possessions away from them. Alfonso McKinney, you mentioned that he's been injured, but I, I think his time in the rotation uh, could be coming to an end. Certainly, if we're talking about in the playoffs, you know, he's really only doing one thing well right now, and that's rebounding. We've talked about that a little bit before. And, you know, Sean Livingston, it's been a real struggle for him since the All Star break. Damian Lee just isn't athletic enough to hold up. I mean, if he gets stuck on a switch against James Harden, he's just going to get roasted, I think. So the old story of not having a ton of wing depth available. And they spent that full mid-level or that mini mid-level, I should say, on Cousins. And maybe with him playing more in the playoffs, they won't need as many wings because they won't be going small as much. But, you know, that, that may not hold up. We'll see. Let's talk about the Houston Rockets now. 38 and 25, 7 and 3 since we last checked in on them. Plus 2.0 net rating is 11th in the NBA. Not amazing. Third in offense, 25th in defense, projecting for 51 wins, tying for third. So we've been talking here for a while about OKC, Denver, and the Warriors as being a cut above. Well, now OKC with this, these two losses, some of which were unexpected with Paul George out, and who knows when he'll be back. With that sore shoulder, now Utah, Houston, Portland, really right back into the mix. It's going to look a lot more like last year, I think. Denver's a little bit above, but now three through six really is all in play. And as we know, you know, three and six should really be the prime real estate there to get out of the Warriors bracket. You would assume the Warriors are going to beat out the Nuggets. We'll see Nuggets uh, have had their own struggles of late. 
uh iman shumpert sore calf kenneth reed sore hip they both missed sunday's near blowout win in boston the celtics fought back but houston really controlled that throughout uh freed tried to warm up couldn't go shumpert did not i mean generally any kind of a calf injury that causes you to leave the game it's gonna be almost certainly a week and maybe even longer and obviously we've seen all the struggles that shumpert has had uh check in on their new players Shumpert has only played five games, 18 minutes a game, 40% true shooting, 13% usage, negative 15.7 net rating. I mean, that's, you know, about about 80 minutes or so. So uh, actually exactly 90 minutes. So not enough to draw any conclusions there. I mean, it's really been more about his lack of availability. Going back a little bit further, Kenneth Fareed, 3.5 net rating. He started 13 of the 16 games he's been available after getting bought out from Brooklyn, 19% usage, 64% true shooting. I think he's done about what would be expected. He's not been a good defender they've tried a little bit of him and Capella together but they've really been decimated by injuries uh and then austin rivers has now been a rocket for 29 games 13 of which he started really interesting only 14 percent usage for rivers i mean that which is way down from where he is but still below average true shooting he has provided some modicum of defense on the wing though which has been important to what they've been doing and even at the point of attack as well they don't especially with chris paul out they didn't really have anyone else who could guard point guards um by far the biggest development for them though is that chris paul i don't know if he's back but he's back at least playing at like close to an all-star level since the all-star break it is a massive development for them because we we saw it in the western conference finals i mean chris paul as great as james harden is is an important part of their offense getting its verve and then defensively he's another important part for them point of attack and being there and so before the all-star break chris paul was you know his usage hasn't really changed but he was at 56 percent true shooting 35 percent from three 48 percent on twos now that 56 percent true shooting is up to 63 and 38 percent from three 56 percent on twos and what's encouraging and and should definitely be encouraging though we're dealing with obviously a very small sample sample here is that the numbers that we're seeing over you know since the all-star break those are more in line maybe a little rosy for the chris paul that we expected and hoped to see rather than what he was for the first you know the first three two-thirds of the season yeah it is interesting he's only taken three shots at the rim since the all-star break but and that that part of his game it has been on the wane uh, for some time but i think to me it's really i mean especially in that game against the warriors when he had 23 and 17 he's at least if you're gonna play conventional pick and roll defense against him he is at least showing now that he can get back to carving that up and just the overall verb that he's playing with he's getting out there he's getting loose balls he looks faster out there he's got more of a bounce in his step he doesn't just look old and slow he's actually making some of those dribble moves enjoying himself out there he's actually been a big part for them defensively they generally defended much better with him on the floor this season so i'm hopeful that he's going to be able to continue that and that if that's the case that this Rockets team could get back to looking kind of like what they did last season for all the hand wringing about some of the departures paul's performance was probably the biggest issue that they've had now hopefully he's not going to play too many minutes and get worn down again here uh oh i have a stat i want to mention that michael Lee yeah. had this after the ridiculous 58 pointer that harden dropped that was the most points ever scored against a miami heat opponent he joins 
Wilt Chamberlain, Rick Barry, Michael Jordan, and Kobe Bryant as the only players in NBA history with six separate 50-point games in the same season. He might not be done. I mean, there's a very distinct chance that he does it again. And I mean, Harden's having a wonderful year. We will talk about him, of course, when we do MVP, when we do the next awards and all of that. I mean, he's having a ridiculous season. And Chris Paul, his hopeful return to at least something close to what he was, as great as Harden is, that's an important development for this Rockets team. I will continue on in a moment here. But first, the No Chill Podcast, got to tell you about that, hosted by Gilbert Arenas. Gil's one, actually one of my all-time favorite players to watch. I was sad when he didn't get much run for Team USA in the 2006 World Championships. I think he didn't even make the team, ultimately. But one of the all-time microwave scores, something that I actually compared Donovan Mitchell's game to offensively, although Gil, I mean, was relative to the league a, a lot more efficient. One of the first guys to take really, really deep three three-pointers as well loved watching him and a great personality he called himself the hibachi really one of the first hit a blog as well one of the first guys to really take the chance of the internet era to speak directly to fans and now he's going to do that in hour-long podcast form gill and his co-host uh, mike botticello are getting top guests like kevin durant nick young matt barnes ice cube and many others coming soon they'll talk about basketball but also hot topics trends burning questions the no chill podcast is available everywhere you get your podcast you can hear new episodes every monday or listen a day early that would be sunday on himalaya let's continue on to the clippers 36 and 29 7 and 4 since the last 15 and 60 they've continued to outperform their point differential to some degree uh at 0.2 that is 14th in the nba 13th ranked offense 19th ranked defense their defense has been on the come the offense on the wane of late they project for 44 wins which would be a tie for seventh with the spurs 89 percent chance of making the playoffs what say you about the la clippers actually i should change the name of the team in the sheet so it doesn't say los angeles clippers anymore so since the clippers traded tobias harris they they before their ass kicking of the knicks they actually had a negative two net rating that is now up to oh, wait a minute i i have a a theory on why they changed it to la clippers i just thought of okay so that they would alphabetically be ahead of the lakers oh that's like funny in, in any listing of the but, teams alphabetically they but would wouldn't they first. have already been ahead of them because their their nickname is is earlier alphabetically or would they would that count in discretion hmm yeah i don't know although in our sheet they're oh no they are before the lakers no they're before the lakers in our sheet okay we just um, didn't do them before the yeah. lakers today no we're because we're going in a hodge in a slapdash order uh, all right so, well that was a stupid theory yes. and it's I, okay it was not i, I was thinking you were going to say office. something about the la express the the team that they have an alternate jersey now that looks like the la express uniforms which i believe were the usfl yeah the, um, steve young i think played for them i, I believe that he did so since they traded Tobias Harris after the ass kicking in the Knicks, they have a plus 0.5 net rating. They are six and four, 20th in offense, 13th in defense. That 13th in defense just feels ridiculous to me. And that's what it was before and after the Knicks game. So that wasn't just beating on the Knicks. And so if when they started, when they traded Tobias Harris, they were 30 and 25. And so you think about putting on another, you know, 60% win percentage in the next 10 games, it looks like they have enough to make it in, especially because their schedule, you know, it's middle of the road. It's tougher than sack. And and tougher than the Spurs, but easier than the Lakers. So considering the 
lead that they have. And a, something else, because uh, like I use I use Tankathon's rankings. There are other ones I'm actually still looking. If anybody has a recommendation for a more cohesive strength of schedule, because one of the things the Clippers are a great example of is they don't leave LA again until March 22nd when they play Cleveland on a four game trip. They have a technical road game on Monday against the Clip against the Lakers, but it's still at Staples Center, so they have a long time at home. If they can win some of those games, that will be a big thing. And I can imagine that organizationally, and of course that comes from the top in Steve Ballmer, they would really relish sweeping the leg on the Lakers on on Monday, and you know, getting a, a firmer grasp, of course, in the playoffs, which it sounds like they want. Yeah, if they win that game, I think the Lakers are truly done because uh, really I think the Lakers only hope is they have to sweep the Clippers going forward here and that you know they can have a little bit more of a an effect on the Clippers now there's still the Kings and the Spurs to deal with as well but they still control their own destiny a little bit more just due to those two games with the Clippers and, and I think they could also win the tiebreaker they've already lost the tiebreaker to the Spurs which is another problem that, that they have as well the Lakers do uh let's check in on some of these guys Danny uh, who are new Clippers how they've been doing so far most of them have been doing very well i mean landry shamet has started six games he has 61 percent true shooting 15 usage 43 percent from three he was seven of 11 from three in the knicks game and had 21 points in 26 minutes zubach starting eight games 2.8 net rating plus 2.8 next rating playing you know less than 20 minutes a game that's what happens when you have montrez harrell coming off the bench you don't need as much from your center i think he's looked good and i mean then the other ones jermichael green he has come off the bench about neutral net rating garrett temple has done a mix of coming off the bench and and or starting and coming off the bench negative 4.7 net rating and part of why temple's taken a larger role is because without tobias harris i mean granted drawing the three four distinction with him and gallo is challenging but they don't really have small forwards on the roster yeah although you could argue even with harris they didn't before i mean they had more of an offensive small forward but harris to me is kind of a four so is gallo so uh, temple actually is with imba mute still just you know banished to europa or something still no word really on when he might return temple is probably a better three and d type of option than they had at the three beforehand although obviously temple is he, he's had to do yeoman's work throughout his career first on the kings grizz whiz i mean whatever team he was on it seemed like he always had to play the three when he's really just too undersized for it he actually started his career people talked about him almost as a point guard and that's why he was brought in briefly for the kings the thought was he'd be point guard than they uh since i was thinking it might have been ty lawson and that year speaking of guys who kind of have some point guard skills ty wallace is really disappointed this year I made the argument that the Nuggets, rather than spending part of their mid-level on Torrey Craig, should have done an offer sheet for Ty Wallace first, that he was way better than Craig. That has not been the case at all this year. 7.5 PR, 44% true shooting for Wallace, shooting fewer threes, not getting to the foul line, assist percentage is way down. Really, everything uh, about his game has been pretty rough, unfortunately. He was someone that we thought had some talent. I don't want to give up on him yet, but he has not contributed over 500 minutes this season Danilo Gallinari is someone we should also talk a little bit more about we've hit on his game before but there's something about the way he's playing that seems a little bit unsustainable and perhaps that should affect their offseason thinking depending on who they end up getting yeah I mean 
before we get to that, it's worth noting that Gallinari is, there's a very good argument that he's having the best offensive season of his career, career highs in PER, true shooting, usage, second strongest assist rate of his career. And while he's not getting to the line like his best days when he was in Denver, it's better than uh, improved from last year, which is which is an important part of it. But what you were getting at is that this season, Gallo is shooting 43% from three, and that is meaningfully better than both his 37% career average, and he was only at 32% from long distance last season. Now that 32%, I feel like is an outlier, but the 43 probably is as well. And considering he's pretty close to his career highs on a lot of those things, it's fair to say that the unsustainably strong three-point shooting is a big part of it. He's having a wonderful season either way. But what I was thinking about with that is, especially depending on what happens with the Clippers, I mean, there's a possibility that he fits in really well with what they're going to do. And then you have him for, I think it's like 22, 23 million for next year by all means, but they could also benefit from another team overvaluing what he has done this year. And then, you know, really treating him as a, as a more positive asset than he would be. And so then that could open the door. And so it is going to be complicated timing for the Clippers, just in terms of who says yes and when and what they need to do. But Gallinari having such a wonderful year works for them both ways, because either they can keep him or it becomes easier to move him should they have a better option for that salary space. Let's get to the Wolves, 29 and 34, but four and seven since the last 15 and 60. Their loss to Washington today uh, probably put a capper on their playoff hopes as well. 15th in net rating at negative 0.1, 11th on offense, 20th on defense. They project for 38 wins, a tie for 10th in the West, and only 2% odds of the playoffs now. Robert Covington spent time in the G League. He's been recalled now, did not play on Sunday against the Wizards with the, that bone bruise in his ankle. Luol Deng missed Sunday's game with a sore left Achilles. I want to talk about Carl Anthony Towns now, who, after that rough first month of the season with Jimmy Butler, pretty much right back where you want him to be. Probably the most important thing about him, though, is his improved defense and the stats back that up to some degree last year he was among the worst in the nba opponents shot 64 percent at the rim when he was in the vicinity that was you know maybe third or fourth worst among centers maybe right down there with kevin love this year 56 percent shooting a lot at the rim that is actually slightly above average now for a starting center and that's been backed up he, he's done a better job to me of staying solid in the lane reacting there haven't been as many plays where he just doesn't move at all and i thought even going back to the playoffs last year he looked better i don't think he's ever going to be awesome on defense maybe we overrated his physical tools we're just really impressed by his ability to switch as a rookie whatever it was but he does seem to be playing a little bit better at least to the point now where you don't look at him and say hey we just can't have a top half of the league defense with this guy out there and it's not like without butler they have like and with covington having missed now almost half the time since the butler trade that they have all this other great personnel their point guards are not great defensively they got wiggins dario sharich is not really great defensively he does have taj Gibson to help him out a little bit some but that's worth noting his improved defense if not great defense and considering that some of the aspirations of this team really are a lot more muted than they were two years ago when you're talking about you thought oh wiggins is going to develop towns going to develop they're going to have all this flexibility 
they could really be competing at the highest levels of the western conference i mean i think if we looked at oh who who's the team that's going to look really good a couple years from now it would have been the wolves now we're just talking about a team that's trying to get into the playoffs and carl towns and a bunch of role players around him so sad as it is to say it doesn't really matter as much whether he's going to get to the absolute highest levels or not anytime soon another thing to mention with towns while there are elements of the season that have been very positive and and i mean there are perspectives on this my instinct is that he's not going to get on an all nba team this year and that has really big long-term implications for minnesota because if he makes an all nba team right, so, so who's who's it going to be Jokic clearly ahead of him and b clearly ahead of him so now it's he's competing with gobert lamarcus davis but I think Davis's his chances of getting it have been toned down significantly by how the season is going to end. Incidentally, if he had been shut down for the season, he probably would have gotten it. But now, I mean, playing you know twenty some odd minutes a game and all that kind of stuff. You think he would? No, he wouldn't have gotten it if he got shut down, especially because it was like the voters. Oh, that's true. That's true. Voters voters that. care more about games played than I do. That's true. We've seen that in other years. You're right. Um. Well, and especially with other a lot of other worthy candidates there too. In fair Gobert. point uh in particular and we'll see where the jazz end the year but for towns he was 27 percent usage his second year all the way down to 23 percent with butler around and now right back up almost 28 percent this year and that's after a first year when or a first month when he wasn't getting the ball nearly as much and 62 percent true shooting i mean he is back to being an absolute offensive superstar shooting a few more threes those are going in for him not quite as much as last year but right at 40 percent again and he's taking more and it's very interesting that he's actually taking more threes per 100 possessions this year maybe part of that is playing for ryan saunders but also you would think that he would take more threes as a percentage of his shots last year because he was one of their only good shooters but this year you know i think they're just running more stuff for him so the one thing that has spiked he's turning it over a ton more 4.2 per 100 possessions this year as opposed to 2.7 last year so that's something that he's going to need to work on to some degree and we saw him struggle with his decision making in the post a little bit in that houston playoff series as well posting up he's right back to being really good again 30 percent of the time he posts up right at one point per possession that's pretty solid pick and roll roll man he can roll or pop that's been outstanding at 1.2 points per possession so he's right on track to right back to being where he was supposed to be as an offensive force and you know with the wolves just kind of irrelevant again now with after the butler trade he may go back to being underrated again we'll see what what happens and obviously he never misses games except when he gets into a car crash so uh you know that durability really matters a lot too he's almost at 2,000 minutes already this season I was just looking it up. He's currently fourth among centers in RPM, actually ahead of Joel Embiid, but I think we would both have Embiid clearly ahead of him, and he's right behind yeah. Gobert. Well, let's, let's see how much more time Embiid misses, unfortunately, but yeah. he's, he's supposed to be back this week. Yeah, that's that's what he said. Uh Temps talked about that, that he talked after the last game. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. And it is also unfortunate with Minnesota. I think if, if, if the Covington injury hadn't happened, this team could have gotten more in the mix. I didn't expect the bottom of the West to get a little bit softer than like, as soft as it did also it, that depends on if the clippers start losing games but there are a couple things with that let's go let's go to utah i think that'd be an interesting team to talk about right now the jazz are 36 and 26 six and two since the last 15 and 60 they are now eighth in net rating 17th in offense first in defense i mean it took a little bit but that'd be their 
they're just as good as we expected. They are in that three to six morass projected for fifty for fifty one wins. Still playing without Dante Exum, he will be reevaluated on Friday. He has missed a long time, and then because these things always happen in multiples with the Utah point guards, Holoneto has now missed three straight games due to a hamstring issue. But they were able to overcome that, let's say, and a, a gigantic margin in their stirring win against comeback win over the Milwaukee Mega Bucks. Donovan Mitchell had 19 yeah. points. Donovan Mitchell had 19 points in the final 8-10, finishing the game with 46 on 15 of 32 from the field, six assists, three turnovers. And also Derek Favors had an absolutely massive game, 23 and 18, three blocks, 10 of 12 from the field, and was plus 32 in a game that was decided in the final minute. And Gobert only played 20 minutes and did not close the game. And after the game, I mean, you love it when a player says this. He said, I got my ass kicked, props to coach. And favors yeah, for, for taking him for taking out him out favors in et cetera. yeah and he wasn't wasn't sarcastic about it i mean and snyder being able to do that and not getting lip from even though he didn't make the all-star game an all-star in rudy gobert a potential defensive player of the year it's great that snyder has has that kind of confidence to pull it off and then to to get support from gobert certainly makes it easier and even though that was a very different bucks team i mean bledsoe was a late scratch in that game that's what led to this ridiculous lineup when chris middleton was the smallest player because they start and they started yeah and that lineup kicked ass by the way yes they did and so i mean that made the whole that was a big part of what made the hole that the jazz eventually had to climb out of and mitchell had some plays i i actually have it saved on my dvr i have not watched the entirety of that game i want to but mitchell has made some just spectacular passes in the end of that game and yeah i mean he hit two big threes and and that's a big part of what you want to talk about he had 19 points in the final eight ten, but he had one where it was just like a bullet pass to the corner to Jay Crowder. And I talk a lot about pass speed because if you throw a fast pass that's accurate, then the then you you get a little bit more time in terms of defensive reaction that kept a little bit more space for Crowder. I think he still would have had enough time to get it off anyway. But then he also had this ridiculous one where he was getting doubled and I think he jumped up in the air before he really had a plan. Was kind of looking a different way. Looking the looking off the safety is probably the analogy. I think that's what he was doing, and then just threw a laser to, to Derek Favors, who I believe then got fouled. And yeah, that was awesome. Those sorts of plays. I mean, because there are always these questions about like, oh, is a guy you know, is he point guard, is primary ball handler, is he an off guard, and all that. And most of the guys, when you have those sorts of questions, one of the things that you look at is creating separation. But another one of them is, are they passing? guys open are they seeing things are they able to execute passes that are beyond rudimentary and donovan mitchell can absolutely do that yeah passing speed that's why you want to go with dan marino as your quarterback on the afc pro bowl and super tech mobile passing speed very very important when you're playing against a human opponent to get the pass there quickly before their their guy they're controlling can get there to knock it away um interesting discussion here with ricky rubio a free agent about whether mitchell at point guard or mitchell at shooting guard is the way to go they have struggled 107 offensive rating with mitchell at point guard 110 which is closer to league average a little bit above with him at shooting guard 75 percent of his minutes played at shooting guard now how much of that is and certainly his numbers are better at point guard david Locke has said that it's good for donovan but maybe not as good for the team when he plays point guard but how much of that is 
you know, he's playing with Royce O'Neal or some other pretty limited guys on the perimeter. Or if he's starting, he's playing with Favors and Gobert together at point guard. I'm not sure I'm willing to say that the team is being hurt. I mean, and, and I think it's also just that, well, if he's going to play point guard, then you need some more passing. Ingles is really the only other guy who's going to provide that. So if they do go with him a point guard, they will have some more flexibility in theory. That might also necessitate getting rid of Favors, which maybe they just won't want to do. You know, we'll see what their options are in free agency the way Ferris has played they may just still stick him around on a one-year deal yeah it's over 15 million but it's only one year and he still really helps them he plays a lot of minutes so if they do play him I think the advantage might be that you can get a little bit better defensively if you play Donovan at the one have a little bit more size maybe have a little bit more spot up shooting for when you do put the ball in Mitchell's hands and I think if you have Mitchell and Ingles in the starting group that's okay but you still would have to maybe play Mitchell at the two with some backup units just to to get a little more ball handling on the floor you're finding another small forward who can run pick and roll like Ingles that guy is not necessarily out there but if you wanted to trade out Rubio for someone who's a little bit better of a shooter and more of a three and d type of guy that might be an option in the offseason but still a long way to go here and we'll see how much point guard Mitchell ends up playing Rubio is back I think he came off the bench though in that Bucks game so uh how's it looking as far as Utah's schedule and their postseason seeding prospects the rest of the way their schedule is ridiculously soft so unsurprisingly league average is a 50% opponent winning percentage the Jazz remaining schedule is at 41.2 that is the weakest in the league their third strongest remaining opponent in terms of record in in this is game so theoretically if you played if you played somebody twice that would count as two games is the LA Clippers and they have three games remaining against the Suns that said Utah is six games behind Denver in the loss column but then they're right in that mix with Portland Houston and OKC so I think they have a a good chance to work their way to the three but they have to actually take care of business because just because you have a favorable matchup does not guarantee a victory in any way shape or form so they're they're in a good position but I mean again you have these four teams all of which are very talented all of which have the potential to go on a big run in the last you know 18 games of the season so they have a good shot at it but they have to actually do it the San Antonio Spurs sit at 35 and 29, 3 and 6 since the last 15 and 60. They really struggled, went 1 and 7 on that rodeo road trip, which was spread over the All Star break, but have come back with a couple of nice wins over Detroit, and then they beat OKC without Paul George very comfortably over the weekend. 0.9 net rating, that's 13th in the NBA, 6th ranked offense, 23rd ranked defense, projecting the tie for the 7th seed at 44 wins, identical 89% play playoff odds to the LA Clippers and certainly getting to that seventh seed assuming the Warriors are going to be the one seed will be a priority for both of those teams. Pau Gasol and the Spurs have agreed to a separation. Gasol will actually join the Bucks. He gave back 2.5 million and recall that he had a 6.7 million guarantee. That means that that will be reduced to 5.07 million per Bobby Marks next season. So the Spurs get a little bit of a break. Unclear whether they will stretch Gasol or not. They don't project to have significant cap room this summer, so probably better to just take the whole hit and have preserved more flexibility for future seasons. Derek White has returned. I think he's been a big part of why they've returned to their winning ways. 14 points, 8 rebounds, 2 assists in the OKC win. He had 15 in that win over Detroit. Well, something I wanted to bring up with Spurs, you brought up the 1-6 the one the rodeo trip, and that 
is an important piece of context. But right before that, they won five straight games in late January, early February, and then they had the night, the two nice wins this week. So calibrating, figuring out what this Spurs team is will be incredibly important. And also, I don't think it's like the whole reason or anything. They were one in six. They played some good teams. It was, it was, even if it was a split road trip, it's still a lot of games against capable teams on the road. But Derek White only played in one game. He only played 20 minutes in that one game over those seven. And he's largely been healthy on the other parts. And having another capable player in the guard rotation, especially one who fits in with what they do, I think offensively and defensively makes a big difference. Yeah. They don't have a lot of two way help on the guard line right now especially the size there i mean forbes mills those guys are, are a little undersized they play them together you're playing DeRozan at the three you're awfully small i want to talk a little bit about what has changed for demar rosen this year compared to last year did not get a ton of all-star buzz this year had a big start to the year when they were actually really struggling and then since they've done well he his personal stats have dropped off a little bit in terms of the way he's being used, not that much different than in Toronto a year ago. 37% of the time in the pick and roll this year, 41% last year. ISOs are up quite a bit, 19% this year, 13% last year, and but still pretty solid. 73rd percentile this year is 84th percentile last year, so a little bit of a subtle drop posting up a a little bit more this year that hasn't been particularly effective in either year spotting up about the same most of those spot ups that are drives to the basket especially this year he's not taking many threes so it really just in terms of how he's being used in the offense his play types pretty darn consistent compared to last year but something that's fascinating is while his play types are similar his shot locations are absolutely not because last year 20% of his shots were from three this year that's down to four percent DeMar DeRozan has made seven three-pointers this year he's seven of 41 on the season and most of the gains because of course if you're putting basically 16% of your shots back on the table they have to go somewhere unfortunately for DeRozan more of those are going to deep twos and and straight up mid-rangers than going to the basket he's also shooting the the, his the lowest free throw attempt rate of his entire career this year just 33% that's that's a huge one yeah well especially yeah because he's I mean he's a very good free throw shooter 83% and you know almost every who's a good free throw shooter would be better than well, for he doesn't really have an efficient method of scoring outside of the free throw line yeah i mean I, sure if he if he can get all the way to the basket then you can do it but i mean you can't he, i don't think of him as just like this fantastic you know driver and that you're creating so much for other people getting to the line is the best thing he does i do think there's some evidence that not having quite as much space to work with especially remember he's playing a lot with that san antonio starting group and their bench unit with Bellinelli and Mills will play a little bit more of that Spurs beautiful game. They'll bomb some more threes. Bertans will play more with that group a, a lot of times. You know, he, Bertans is in and out in the starting lineup. Is that true? Let me actually double check that. Yeah, Bertans only started 12 games. So it does seem like there's not as much space to work with. His turnover percentage, also a career high. First time it's been in double digits since 2014-15. Also worth noting that his usage... 2017 was all the way up at 34%, dropped to 29% last year and down to 28% this year. So he's actually not even getting as many possessions. True shooting down from 56% to 53%, and that's with overall offense on the rise here. The three-point attempt rate is almost nothing, and he's hitting like under 20% of those. So that has hurt the efficiency a little bit there too. 
I think it's also interesting to note that in addition to the turnovers being up, which might be an indication of not being a, as much space, that he's already had his shot blocked 80 times this year compared to 78 all of last year. And this is also absolutely fascinating just in, in terms of his overall career progression. His rookie year, DeRozan drew 14 charges, nine his second year, then was steady around that level for a few years then for three consecutive years starting in 2014-15 he drew precisely zero charges then he bumped that up all the way to four last year and he's already drawn 13 this year so he's on pace for a a career high now as a spur really odd progression there for DeRozan in terms of and you know charges I did a whole presentation on this that Sloan are not the be-all end-all when it comes to defense they don't have that much correlation with actually individual defensive metrics but they can be an indication for certain guys of like you know are you making more of an effort and it seems like at least he's doing that this year as a spur despite being on a much much worse defense ultimately maybe it's also an indication that he's playing more at the threes played 70 percent of his minutes at the three this year per basketball reference 40 percent last year so maybe just that he's playing a larger position he has more help responsibilities that's why he's drawing more charge but I, I thought that was that was really interesting to see that regression and then progression uh in his career and since we're not talking about the mean i can say regression and progression for you pedantic type worth noting that this year per pipm DeRozan is actually a slight negative on both offense and defense. So he's, you know, just, you know, really close to there. So that puts him, I think he's 231 out of like 500 guys. So around, you know, in the middle of the league so far this year. And he's under contract. I believe he's under contract for next year and then has a player option for 2020-21. And the difference in going from east to west, oh, the east is getting stronger at the top we actually talked about that on our patreon mailbag patreon.com slash duncan larue we that came out today if you want to listen to that we had some really good questions if you want to support the the show by subscribing there that the east could be an absolute monster next year but DeRozan and his numbers aren't down that much but last year he was this no-brainer all-star and he has been for a while in the east and didn't even really get much serious consideration it seems like this year all right i'll let you pick the next team let's go with another team competing for the final spots in the west playoff picture the sacramento kings they are still 500 they're 31 and 31 though they got there by being three and six in their last nine games they are now 19th in net rating about negative one 20th in offense 16th in defense and 538 projects them to win 40 games which would be ninth i believe that's four games behind the spurs and clippers for those seven and eight spots and 538 only gives them a nine percent chance of making the playoffs just one small thing i want to note i was going through their schedule this is right around the time where i start to look at it and try to make a practical sense of okay how hard is this really and there's an unusual quirk in their schedule that they basically play no games against the middle class of the league. So they have seven games left against likely top five seeds. They have 11 games left against probable non-playoff teams, and I'm counting the Lakers in that group. And then they only have two against teams that are really in that five to eight mix in both conferences. And not that those five to eight mixes are created equal, but I, I put, so that's a game against Brooklyn, a game against, against, against San Antonio. So the good part of that for the Kings and their fans is that they have a lot of very winnable games and they can get to i mean you're not going to necessarily win all of those but they can get to 500 pretty reasonably if they just take care of business but the big problem is getting far beyond that 
is going to take a lot. And the current estimation is that you're probably going to need 43, 44 wins. And so those extra couple will be a lot harder than it would take to get right to the margin. Yeah, we're talking about the Lakers with 19 games left need to go 14 and 5 to get to the 44 wins. And so the Kings would need to go 13 and 7. And maybe there's some hope that late in the year, some of those teams might not be trying as hard due to seeing being wrapped up, although it seems like it's going to be a dogfight right down to the end. Harrison Barnes, that acquisition has not gone well so far. 36 minutes a game. He started all eight games that he's played. 12 points, seven rebounds, but only 37% from the field, 29% from three and 48% true shooting. And probably the most disturbing aspect of this to me, he's been very inefficient, only 15% usage, which is very interesting to me i thought that where he might be able to add value for this team was they don't really have a one-on-one bucket getter type and he hasn't particularly been used that way he's uh, only 12 percent of the time he's had 13 possessions in isolation those haven't gone particularly well nine is the pick and roll ball handler also is averaging about 0.6 points per possession between those two play types that's not particularly good the three ball i mean he's proven himself to be a high 30s three-point shooter in his career i think that'll come around to be sure he may also get to play more minutes at the four now with Bagley going to miss some time although hopefully not too much and and Barnes has long been much more effective offensively in his career at the four than at the three but we haven't seen a ton of the small small pick and roll get him in his comfort zone type of plays that he feasted on a little bit in Dallas or maybe not feasted on because he wasn't incredibly efficient you know maybe he like grazed on would be more accurate there but it doesn't seem like if you're only going to have him use 15% of plays we talked about okay can he play more the way he did in Golden State well he wasn't that low even in Golden State so I think it's really overkill to trade for this guy who's you know the worse he plays the more likely this is that he's going to opt in to that 25 million next year they're not really getting their money's worth unless they're going to use him a little bit more and maybe he's not worthy of that but either not using him or him not being worthy of being used neither of those is great a factor in that low usage could be the starting lineup that Jay Vager has gone with, which is Barnes at the four playing with De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, and Bogdan Bogdanovich. All guys that are those three are superior offensive players, in my opinion, to Harrison Barnes. So it makes sense that he's a fourth or fifth option. And, and Willie Colley Stein, who's the fifth starter there, he kind of has his niche. So you don't need to go in that. And when you have Bogdan and Buddy Heald out there, those guys can put up some heavy usage games. De'Aaron Fox, he can do that as a passer or as a scorer. It just depends on what opportunities present themselves. And so they need a little bit less from Barnes. Another silver lining of a Bagley being unavailable for a t- short period of time, thankfully it's shorter than what it looks like it might have been when he got hurt, is that it's finally allowed Noanya Bielitsa to get back in the rotation a little bit. He had three DNPs in their previous five games, but then he's he has played 23 minutes over the last couple. We'll see what kind of role he has. And one of the theories with Harrison Barnes could be maybe you stagger him. You know, I, I, I've used the phrase of a stagger plus, meaning that you still play a guy a lot with the starters, but that you make sure he's on the floor when the starters are off with somebody like De'Aaron Fox though I mean Yogi's creating decent shots too and maybe you can give Barnes a little bit more 
space to eat there. That would be a possibility. And something I know you wanted to to, to bring up is, I don't know, you know, you've talked about how the, the data on it can be spotty, but Willie Ca- Cauley-Stein's defensive metrics are not looking particularly strong this year. One more thing uh, on Barnes, where he really thrived these last couple of years was super slow it down, small, small pick and roll, get the mismatch, go to work, define reads in Rick Carlisle's system. That's the exact opposite of what the Kings do. So if you did want to play him on the second unit, you're still sacrificing that a little bit. And yeah, the, it doesn't mean you you could run at the start of the possession. If it doesn't work out, maybe you try to get him involved a, a little bit more. Alec Burks, zero idea why they traded for him and traded away Amon Shumpert to get him. They got Houston's 2022nd for making that swap. I still just don't get what the point of that was. Shumpert actually was contributing for them. Maybe they knew the Barnes trade was coming and they felt it was just too many guys or something. But uh, Or maybe Vladdy Divac just has a little bit of a fetish for two guards who can create. We saw the Zach Levine offer sheet, for example. And I still vacillate on whether that's going to work out or not. I mean, he'll have good games and bad games with the Bulls. But Burks, 9.3% usage with the Kings, 12 minutes a game. Just another guy who, I mean, they have enough guys who are creating apparently. I mean, I think that's a good point that Heald, Fox, Bogdanovich, I mean, those are the guys who should have the ball in their hands. And so, I mean, if Alec Burks isn't going to be trying to create it all, there's really no point in having him on your team. And you know, I mean, he he filled a niche last year for a Utah team that had lost all of their creators, but overall just a, has not been able to provide efficient play there. Uh, where do you want to go next? Well, before we move on, I want to clarify, Colley Stein, his block rate is low and he's not deterring a ton of shots at the rim, but his other defensive stuff, his rebounding has been fine. So the numbers, the, the kind of on-off stuff is fine. I just wanted to note that before we move on. Let's go to Portland. Might as well do them. Blazers are 39 and 24 after their win in Charlotte, which went from being an easy win to being a tougher win. And then they still won a little bit comfortably. Seven and four since the last 15 and 60 plus four net rating puts them ninth in the NBA, fourth in offense, 15th in defense. They are are in that three to six group and 538 gives them a 90%, 96% chance to make the playoffs. They're making the playoffs. I think the place to start is with Ennis Canner. Canner is playing 19 minutes per game as a Portland Trailblazer. He's scoring 11 points and 7.7 rebounds. His true shooting right in line with New York, 58%, 23 usage is a little higher. And do you want to, I guess you already saw it, but do you want to guess his net rating? Well, did you accidentally just paste in his numbers from when he was with the Knicks? Well, yeah, I feel like I should check it. I mean, 95 offensive rating, negative 16 net rating. That can't be right, can it? Uh, apparently. So he's been playing as the backup center. He actually played with Zach Collins on Sunday against Charlotte, was not able to play in that game against the Blazers uh, due to his visa issues with the Turkish government. But yeah, I mean, I think even in the regular season, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, but he's, I don't think they're going to play much better defensively. There are not a bunch of defensive stalwarts now. If it's Hood, Curry, I don't see how they're going to stop anybody with Cantor and certainly uh, in the games that I have watched that Boston game I thought he was atrocious defensively which you know big surprise that's been his entire career yeah I don't think he's better than Zach Collins and I mean they've gotten some play out of Jake Lehman now they've got a little bit more size than they had on the wing in Hood Evan Turner has been out I think 
think that's been actually part of why they've looked good lately uh although the biggest reason is that their starting lineup has been awesome over the last month or so all of those guys with 12 or better net ratings in that starting lineup but yeah i mean maybe you go with evan turner at the four hood at the three collins at the five and get canner out of there but you know i mean it seems like certainly the gm at least is a big believer in canner we noted that he gave him that max offer sheet that okc ended up having to match that ended up being such a bad contract that he got bought out of it so but we'll see whether terry stott's agrees with his gm's evaluation of ennis cancer i mean he was brought in with a promise of playing time to be sure but if he doesn't produce you imagine they'll go back to collins at some point and My- myers leonard is out of the rotation I-, I-, I don't know if you had to go into your head if you had to play myers leonard or ennis cancer who would you play i think there, it would depend a little bit on lineup construction but i think i'd probably go with myers leonard i think he's better defensively not as obvious a point of attack and then you know he's he's okay and he's played more with zach collins obviously that's something that they they ran at, at a point of this year i'll turn to rodney hood this is a very good time for rodney hood to talk about him because he had a gargantuan fourth quarter in the game in charlotte but first the overall stats he's playing 22 minutes a game coming off the bench 8.2 points 55 percent true shooting on 15 percent usage 33 percent on threes he's about 15 percent usage it's it's surprising me how low the usage is for a lot of these guys i mean it, it seems like it's either these guys come in and like they feel like they should take every shot or they come in and it's really like hard for them to find their niche right away even if they did maybe on another team what it's also surprising that it's that low considering he had 21 points in the fourth quarter of the game of charlotte 21 on 7 of 10 from the field 3 of 4 from 3 4 of 4 from the line was plus 9 in playing all 12 minutes was 27 points in the game and because i'm me scal has played four minutes as a portland trailblazer yeah hood only 29 percent from downtown but he is taking at least 43 percent of his shots from there and that was going to be that was the big thing when we were believers in hood back in his utah days of the number of threes that he could get up off the dribble and when he moved to cleveland later in his utah days he started taking just more long twos and hasn't been great there so we'll see i mean the other thing too is that he is going to play a lot of three for this team if they're splitting up damon cj in particular then curry he's gonna have to play the three he's not tough enough to play the three and it's just the, the nature of his game relying on a lot of long twos he can get hot and look good in a game like this but also can be extremely inconsistent one of the more inconsistent players in the nba so i don't think he's a panacea that also worth noting that because he signed his qualifying offer he had to give up his bird rights to get traded to portland portland looking like a tax team next year so really the most that they would be able to offer him is the mini mid level or they could just offer him 120 percent of what he's making this year and you know he may that might actually end up being a, a pretty nice contract for him given the the way that he's played so far this year so maybe he'll have some moments he also has really just been awful in the playoffs and limited reps during his career we also probably haven't talked enough about how good use of Nurkic is and someone pointed this out how nasty are the centers in the northwest division between Stephen Adams Nurkic Towns Gobert Jokic I mean who's the worst one of those guys either Nurkic or Adams um but I think like especially at the end of the Charlotte game I really was impressed by Nurkic's effort the offensive glass has been excellent they've been much better defensively with him on the floor than off the on offsets number six in rpm number five in defensive rpm number nine in the entire league in pipm just behind dame lillard and i thought just his overall effort i mean the multiple efforts in that charlotte game 
late in the game making plays at the rim sprinting the floor getting deep seals getting on the offensive glass I mean as they pulled away he had an offensive rebound that set up a three another one where he got fouled a couple of deep post seals after sprinting the floor in transition beating his man down the floor really really impressive work from him now is he going to be one of those two-thirds of the league type of players like a lot of setters? That will be interesting to see. Obviously, he completely failed in that matchup against Anthony Davis and Nikola Mirotic last year. So I, he is a player I'm very curious to see whether he can continue to perform at this level in the playoffs, depending on what the matchup is. There is also a parallel with him and Miles Turner, two guys who I was pretty critical of the I mean Nurkic's contract seemed fine but they've really delivered you know like they, they've been better this year than when they signed those contracts so really want to praise Nurkic he's having an absolutely fabulous season that yet yeah, we'll see we'll see what carries on with it a team that is not having an absolutely fabulous season the Phoenix Suns the Suns are 13 and 51 two and seven since the last 15 and 60 28th in net rating outscored by 10 points per 100 possessions 28th in offense 29th in defense so that's actually better than last year when they were 30th and 30th and they're projected to win 18 games which is last in the west and last in the entire nba oh sorry nope the knicks are below them that's right the knicks are at 17 now um and they're not making the playoffs the suns have only won twice since january 12th and both of those felt catastrophic for their opponent every year this is kind of something i track i don't usually talk about on the podcast of which team do their wins cause the most existential panic in the fan base of the losing team and the answer this year is probably the phoenix suns because they beat the the miami and that game kind of felt like it might be the death knell for the heat they have since won a couple of games yeah, including I, that big i think it's probably at this point would have to be who who would, who would it be there's actually like yeah i guess it would be the Suns, but like they still have devin booker and they're oh they're yeah they have booker and Aiton just, and he could just go off in a game and and that's how you end up losing I mean, I think probably before Kevin Love came back, it was the Cavs. Like yes. that was really like the most hopeless looking team to me. Yeah, and, and actually like, before the trades, the Knicks too. I mean, the Knicks actually DeAndre Jordan and Dennis Smith. Like they actually, I think they have a little bit more, a uh, little bit more verve than they did before. Um, so like actually, yeah, these terrible teams. Atlanta looks a lot better now. The Bulls look a lot better. Other than Phoenix, like these terrible teams actually are a lot better than they were at the start of the year. Which is may- maybe we do have the new lottery odds to think for that maybe we do and and also i think some of it was got like the bulls got better from a talent perspective the hawks got healthier i mean once they got john collins back they've been better than the dregs overall but yeah phoenix is still is still rough tj warren is still out he's had last played in late january and they signed race balding who got cut by dallas he actually had guaranteed money for next season but he was cut in in the sequence of moves that they made to get Kristaps porzingis and so they signed spalding the sun signed balding to a two-year deal with a partial guarantee for next season but by the way i i spalding out of louisville actually i thought has pretty solid athleticism as a bouncier kind of skinny big i saw him at the g league showcase a little bit playing for the texas legends dallas's affiliate so he's one of the few guys i saw there that i was actually like oh there's like at least a little bit something intriguing about this guy so i like that signing one that has not worked out super well for the sun so far though obviously small sample size theater is tyler johnson he started seven of his eight games he's averaging 10 and 4 in about 30 minutes a game true shooting 74 percent 16 percent usage per of 11 he is having has a higher assist percentage than in miami some of that is just as they're figuring out the offense and everything like that and this is not 
entirely, of course, Tyler Johnson's fault, but they have a negative 15 net rating in his minutes. 102 offensive rating is rough. And something that Tyler Johnson's doing, you know, I talked about that 47% true shooting. He's only shooting 35% on twos. That That's tough. And 32% on threes. Yeah. And the thought, I think the reason we kind of liked that move for them was just that he would be a good fit next to Booker, but certainly hasn't helped their defense much with a 117 defensive rating. Not a ton that he can do there. And maybe if they get Warren back, that'll help a little bit. I mean, he's still playing with Aiton and Josh Jackson and Mikael Bridges, who's had an interesting year. Uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about what we've seen from Devin Booker. He was the last time we talked about him, really, he was in the midst of that really awesome run. Is they won four straight, remember that they really had turned things around. Uh, but now he's kind of normalized a little bit, and, and it's been just you know, more when you look at his season in the aggregate, a steady progression rather than a breakout season in total. This is absolutely the best season of Devin Booker's career. The biggest change is the increase in playmaking. He last year, his assist rate that was a career high at 24%. That's all the way up to 33 this year. And it's worth noting that the Suns have a 111 offensive rating when he plays point guard. That's 58th percentile. So if you think, depending on how you feel about their talent, I mean, they definitely have a long way to go. But in terms of, I mean, Aiton is an, is an offensively talented big to be damn sure. And then their 29th percentile when he plays shooting guard. I think that overall, that's a positive. I mean, 60th percentile is, is better than more than half the league. That's, that's a good thing in terms of lineups. But, you know, like really, where does it go from here? is an interesting question in terms of if Devin Booker is their lead playmaker and best offensive player. He's been effective as a as the scorer in pick and rolls. He's also been pretty effective as an assister. And I think some of that would also grow with superior teammates. And it's amazing when you think about what like the part we talked about, like how his game will change and scale. He's only getting 9% of his shots coming off screens and 8% coming on spot ups. He's been fine in both those, you know, around 0.9 points per, per possession. And f- f- part of why his numbers might be a little toned down and why there could be a greater breakout coming very soon is that Booker's only shooting 32% from three this year. He's 35% for his career, 38% last year. So he's getting to the line more, higher percentage of his shots at the rim. Free throw rate looks pretty good for a guy who does what he does. So if that 32%, you know, if that goes up to 35, 36, 37, even without much improvement other places, it'll look a lot better. And you talked about the difference between when he plays point guard and when he plays shooting guard. My guess would be that a lot of that's noise. Now, part of it is just getting some of their terrible point guards that they've had this year off the floor in those linemen. Some of it is putting the ball in his hands more as well. And I think there's certainly an argument that that can help some, but it's not like their personnel is that different when he plays point guard. It's not like he's not handling the ball at all when he's playing shooting guard. Right. It's 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 a size distinction rather than a role distinction. Yeah. So I don't think that it's necessarily the... Uh, case that oh just put him a point guard and all their offensive problems are solved you know it might be a better alignment it might not be but i think it's probably more likely just from a statistical standpoint that there's a fair amount of noise in that number given that the personnel is not that different the role isn't that different when he's playing point guard it's some it's somewhat different but to say that oh he's playing a point guard now we're a good offensive team we place a shooting guard we're a bad offensive team and that that's because he's the point guard as opposed to just well we've got this other crappy point guard playing next to him or 
we don't um to that end tyler johnson probably the best point guard that they've had here since eric bledsoe left he and booker together looks a little bit better than johnson's overall and also this excludes garbage time but still negative 9.3 net rating 107 on offense 116 on defense ben taylor did have a a point where just the numbers for booker defensively are so spectacularly bad that he just almost doesn't believe them although they have been that way for quite some time now so but just the idea that someone like booker who does at least have decent size and yeah he's not a good he's not good at getting around screens he's not a good help defender but the fact that he could be killing your defense so much i mean to be one of the very worst players in the league in plus minus that's probably a little overstated especially considering some of the other bad bad defensive players like deandre Ayton and rashawn holmes that he shares the floor with and who generally and that they don't really have any kind of a power forward i mean they're so undersized at the four so i mean they're playing Ubre or tj warren or josh jackson there i mean just guys who don't have the size even in today's nba to really be power forwards provide very little if any rim protection so i still of all the factors for their bad defense i would put booker at you know number four or five right and and he's in kind of an easy scapegoat here because he also has all of the other elements that you see with a bad defender you know terrible steal rate terrible block rate his rebound his defensive rebound rate has actually dropped this year even though it was already bad and and those things you know they are generally connected with bad defenders but is he you know so like for example pipm has him as a significantly more negative defensive player than positive offensive player and i it it's possible but when you consider like what his role is and and the relative importance of guard defense versus other player defense that feel like I, I know that the models are what the models are, but I, I'm kind of more in line with Ben that, yeah, he's probably bad, but he's more like run-of-the-mill bad, not spectacular, like killing your defense every possession bad. When I watch him, that's more of what I see. Yeah, well, it's hard to kill something that's already dead. Before we move on, one brief thing I want to say. We will spend some more real time on Mikhail Bridges. Trust me, we're going to need things to talk about with the Phoenix Suns. But 56% true shooting on 12% usage. And I just think that he's having he's having an interesting year kind of fitting in now that they're going with, with him oftentimes in the starting five. And he's one of only four rookies playing significant minutes to have a positive PIPM. The other three are Mitchell Robinson, Landry Shamit, and of course, Luka Doncic. The New Orleans Pelicans are 29 and 36, 6 and 5 since the last 15 and 60. Amazingly, they play, they still have a 0.9 net rating. They are the 12th best team in basketball by point differential, despite the fact that they have been left for dead many times over. They completely destroyed the Lakers. They beat the Nuggets on the road pretty handily by 8. Their starting lineup now, it's funny how much it's changed. We thought going into the season, man, like Buretich, AD, Etwan more they've got all kinds of shooting on this team like portland just couldn't guard them because of their shooting right now they're starting in the denver game because the ad was uh you know exhausted after his uh 20 minutes against the lakers on whatever night that was thursday night they started alfred payton can't shoot julius randall eh, probably can't shoot he did take seven three-point attempts in that in that lakers game but overall not a, a guy who's gonna spot up a lot or space the floor and julio okafor so basically three total non-shooters and they still put up a buck 20 uh, on the nuggets by the way but interesting just how much things 
things have changed randall obviously is a big part of that what's it looked like for them august ad was listed as out with an illness and and each one more was out for rest uh what's it looked like for them with davis on the court and davis on the bench uh since the break so my thought i didn't watch the nuggets game but my thought was oh man like they it looks like they've they've played with verve and and you know like if anthony davis you know they've been maybe not better with him out but that the margins were there and yeah it it is a, a a tighter difference than than it was before but since I believe it's since the All-Star break. Yeah, since the break, he's played 82 minutes and the Pelicans are plus 2.9 in net rating, which in and of itself, when you consider like what people are saying about their season is kind of amazing. And then when Davis sits, they're basically dead even. You know, they're, they're, they're slight, slight negatives. And that, I mean, that's notable that they're still, that they're still that competitive and everything else. Um, And I, I, I'm of a couple of different minds in terms of how the league is forcing New Orleans to deal with this. I mean, it's obviously a farce and basically forcing him to play a little bit. I, I don't think that the paying customers are super excited about seeing, like that seeing him for 20 minutes, most games is so much better than not seeing him at all. I, I'm not of a couple of different minds. I think it's the whole thing is totally stupid. Just don't play him. Yeah, I, I well, the other from the league's perspective, I think that they could have met a like you kind of want to set some sort of a line and say, I understand that motivation but this seems like a very strange place to draw the line in the sand like yeah, he, ha- uh, he has to play you're drawing the line in the sand like three inches from the from the water on the beach like what is the point of putting it there yeah that's true and i also think that at this juncture it wouldn't be that costly to the pelicans financially to just not play him yeah. to pay that if, fine. if he hadn't made the trade request absolutely like the tanking would be just a pretty ridiculous like the blood so yeah right i mean that's a you know if there's not an actual injury you know you want to rest him every once in a while that's fine but yeah i mean you know if you're not playing him 30 minutes in these games and you're doing the marcus solo from last year where he's having a good game and oh, oh we're just not gonna play in the fourth quarter you know that type of stuff is ridiculous but like he requested a trade he doesn't want to play for the team anymore like why should you be forced to play someone who has said he doesn't want to play for your team right and it puts a lot of risk on a couple of different shoulders without a clear like rationale for it i think that that's what i get most uncomfortable with and that's where the the trade demand is different than marcus Sol or something like that marcus Sol was under contract for years i mean davis is taking on something with with him playing i mean whether that's an extension or something else and then of course the pelicans are taking on a ton because if he gets hurt then that significantly changes his value something i wanted to talk about in a little bit more substance is the diminished role for Anthony Davis has opened up more minutes for Sheikh Diallo. Diallo, since the break, is averaging 13 points, 10 rebounds in 20 minutes a game. Exceedingly small sample, but 76% true shooting on 17% usage. Those are numbers are 67% and 16 for the whole season, which is, of course, a much bigger sample. And he's been a positive in, in PIPM and RPM de- defensively, which is something worth keeping an eye on. He's been, you know, a, a stable rebounder. His block rate's a little bit better than I expected 3.8% is, you know, pretty good for guys what he does with with over 500 minutes per game. And an important part of what Diallo has what has made him more efficient this year is that he's really toned down the mid-rangers. They were 29% of his shots last season to 14%. He's been pretty effective around the basket for a long time and those shots were never particularly good for him. He just kind of took them maybe within the full of the offense 
and toning those down really does help him. He's going to be a restricted free agent at 22 years old. And it's also pretty amazing when I I talked about how he's getting a lot of shots at the rim. He is not getting those shots at the rim through post-ups. He has had five post-ups the entire season. He's doing most of his damage as a cutter and as a, as a roll man rolling to the basket. Yeah. Diallo is interesting. I I think he's, I don't see how he gets to being a starting level of player quite on either end. He's not quite explosive enough to really get up for alley-oops and be a great role man. And then defensively, you know, he doesn't, he's not a switch guy, you know, to be sort of a, a Jordan Bell speed five type of guy. And, you know, he doesn't protect the rim all that well either. So I, I think he could be an energy big in certain matchups on the second unit, but it, I, I don't see with his physical tools how he gets to be a starter necessarily. But, you know, that's fine. A uh, couple couple other quick notes i think it's probably time to give up on alfred payton as being anything more than a backup point guard in his career the hope was that being on a good team changes scenery and they haven't turned out to necessarily be a good team but he's at 49 percent true shooting this year turns it over on 20 percent of his possessions and his finishing at the rim has been pretty rough he's at 51 percent at the rim and from downtown 33 percent but extremely low volume per usual and has not made a difference on defense his defensive development is the most disappointing thing i mean as a rookie you would just see these plays where he was like shot out of a cannon. he would just show up places he had these great hands he was a sharker like oh man this could be like the next great defensive point guard and he just has not developed in that area whatsoever uh kenrick williams was a nice story but he's been struggling with his shot lately down to 50 percent true shooting it's not been great 33 percent from downtown he really needs to make shots he's a great rebounder he's got some decent feel but defensively he's not going to be a stopper on the wing and so is he if he's going to play at the four he's got to or or at the three for that matter even more so he's got to spread the floor and the ball hasn't been going in for him as much you know they are perpetually challenged to find someone at the three and uh frank jackson had another good game against denver but uh, overall in the season only 30 percent from downtown but he showed some signs lately uh did in that lakers game as well he's going to get more time stanley johnson less so 0.4 per in 82 minutes he is barely playing right now and you know looking like a guy who's going to be on a minimum contract next season i mean if this is they have his restricted rights but i think he probably let's see will he make the starter criteria probably not uh and but even so a four million or so qualifying offer i don't think they even end up making that to him next year at this rate but they should still try to find ways to get him some time but i mean the guy just can't hit a shot so it's ultimately that's uh until that happens he's not going to have any kind of a career really we can transition to the team that new orleans beat on saturday the denver nuggets are 42 and 20 5 and 4 since the last 15 and 60 plus 4.9 net rating is sixth in the nba fifth in offense 11th in defense they're projected to win 54 games which is second in the western conference it puts them three games clear of that group at 51 and yeah i I will say this though i mean there's you said there's that group at 51 one of those teams is going to get real hot and I think is going to challenge them because they I don't think they're playing all that well right now I think they, they've they had a nice run but uh, they've got some issues to sort out in the rotation and they also just overall have been playing over their heads in terms of their point differential I mean they're not that much better in terms of the net rating than these other teams so when you've got three teams chasing you yeah you have a three game cushion on those teams but the odds are that one of those teams will dramatically exceed their projection so they could very and they got to get that two seed because the 
difference between playing the Spurs or the Clippers and the, whichever one of those teams ends up six is a massive difference. But sorry, I interrupted as you were you were finishing their fundamentals. But I, I the fact that there's so many teams chasing them, I, I think, is a little bit worrisome for them as far as getting that two seed. It is, and along those same lines, they have a fairly tough remaining schedule. I mean, they they don't have many games against the absolute dregs. I think they're out of games against the Suns, Hawks, Cavs, and they have one against the Knicks. So they're going to have, you know, there are other teams that are falling off that they'll be, they'll have to take care of business against them. But, you know, that, that they have two games still against the Warriors, obviously, and you have all that going together. And you brought up the rotation things. I think that's the, the place to start with where they are is for most teams, you would say getting everybody back healthy, Trey Lyles notwithstanding, he's, he's still missing time, makes things simpler. I would argue that with Denver, especially because they've gone through a series of iterations at less than full strength, that being healthy makes life a lot harder on Mike Malone and arguably makes the team worse. Well, and healthy as in able to play these minutes does not necessarily mean that all these people are playing at peak performance, right? Gary Harris got back in the starting lineup the other day, but he has not been particularly efficient this year. He's around 51% true shooting. Same for Will Barton, who had a nice run against utah but you know he's a high usage guy hasn't been as efficient and and, i mean they were having despite the fact that the defense was going downhill until the last maybe seven games or so and then they they started defending again after that or at least having good defensive numbers after that they also were up to number two in offense over a pretty significant stretch of the season and so like we were talking about with the warriors if you bring guys back who are pretty high usage guys barton harris and gulp isaiah thomas you throw them into a team that's been awesome in offense but they're not as efficient you know that's going to hurt your efficiency uh, as a team because that's how those guys play they take a fair amount of shots and isaiah thomas i mean this this experiment has to end he's 16 minutes 12 points on 5 of 14 in their game against New Orleans. I mean, 14 shots in 16 minutes. Overall, he's got 60, or or I'm sorry, overall, he's got 32% usage, 50% true shooting, and he's playing the same way he played with the Boston Celtics, and he can't get by anyone. He doesn't look good, and uh, newsflash, he's not making up for it defensively either. They got to play all these small guards, and that's really hurting their second unit defense, which had been very solid. So, I mean, I'm sorry, like, uh, why it was that they didn't just release him with all these guards coming back and the emergence of Monte Morris, who played the same number of minutes as him. Again, I mean, that's just ridiculous at this point, which, I mean, and, and I'm talking about if you're trying to win. I mean, I understand they, some promises may have been made to him, and but, I mean, they're clearly just being way too optimistic about where he's going to be. I mean, it, like, this is not a scoring challenge team. He was not the greatest fit to begin with because they had plenty of scoring guards, but especially with the emergence of Morris now and now with Harris and Barton getting back to the same time as him. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense, but now we're past March 1st, so he, uh, you can't really cut him. He, he was talking to the media about, oh, yeah, you know, it's tough to get my rhythm because, you know, I haven't been getting enough minutes. <laughs> yeah, m- more minutes for him is not not the solution. And yeah, you could say, hey, he's coming back from a hip injury. You can't expect him to look great right away. Blah, blah, blah. But like he just even, I mean, at his best, yeah, you could help him. But even at what could realistically be a good performance for him at this point in time, at his age, coming off of these surgeries, as reliant as he was on that amazing quickness and athletic 
athleticism not that he was unskilled but that was a big part of his game at you know five eight or whatever he is so yeah not not looking too good um i also think that the demise of wancho hernan gomez partially due to injury partially due to the fact that other people are taking his place i mean he was an efficient play finisher shooter from downtown had some size who's had guarded threes relatively effectively he's good on the glass too uh you know i'm not sure if he's capable of playing the way he did earlier in the season now with some of the injuries that he's had but losing what he was giving them is definitely a problem i think uh, losing what tory craig was giving them defensively even though he has his offensive limitations he only played two minutes against new orleans that's an issue so now that i've droned on for quite some time here and what should the rotation look like here as they get down to more of a playoff look I do want to take a little bit of time to see what Will Barton looks like. You know, right now, the player the player he has been the last little bit is more challenging, but I think I think he will be better, you know, in, in a month, and that's really what matters more. But so if I were to say what the, the guys in the rotation, not necessarily saying in order, because, I mean, you can make an argument, Malik Beasley has played meaningfully better than Will Barton so far this season, that I would and, go... Or Harris, for that matter. Beasley well, yeah. has been Well, I'm saying better. those I'm saying those yeah. guys together is one option. But so who, yeah. who would be... So their opening night starting five was or like that the idea of their starting yeah, five and, and, that, was, and that's who they've that's who they started in the new orleans game correct uh, murray harris barton Millsap, Jokic. and Jokic. so then to me the the guys that are definitely a part of the uh, of the rotation mason plumley monte morris and malik beasley you know assuming he's not going to start i think those are those are the next three and so that gets you to eight i'm guessing they'll run nine then I would, uh, my instinct would be to go with either Tory Craig or Wancho, depending on what the other team brought to the table and what that specific lineup needed. And I think both those guys could actually be pretty good in that role. It would just be context dependent. That list does not include Isaiah Thomas. It definitely does not include Isaiah Thomas. And yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly like how, how all of this is going to shake out for them. They have a lot of talent. I, I still think that there, there is a strong theory of this team as well, though, if they have to face a, a, a strong small forward that Paul Millsap can't guard that will be problems too though LeBron James more likely missing the playoffs now does take away some of that possibility so yeah I mean that that's is there any do you have any disagreements with me and then how do you feel Mike Malone is going to handle it yeah that's an interesting question I mean I think Malone if history is any indication will handle it very inconsistently that he will just go with whoever appears to be the hot hand in a particular game he'll stick with whatever looks to be the hot hand you know if whoever has had a good start to the fourth quarter in a close game so i i don't have a ton of trust in him and I mean, it's going to be tough. Like Barton and Harris have got to just start playing better, you know, and those guys are coming off of some pretty injury plagued periods. So you want to have some trust that they can get back to it. But how long is that leash going to be for them as opposed to say Malik Beasley? And then not only is it a question of just who's going to be on the floor, but then who's really going to get the touches and who's the offense going to run through? Is it going to be Barton or is it going to be Jamal Murray? And then you get stuff taken away from Jokic and Paul Millsap still likes to get into the post every once in a while as well. It's going to be very difficult to sort all this out. And it's it's good problems if all these guys have been playing well. But when the guys with the pedigree and the guys making the money haven't been playing as well yet, that makes it a, a lot more difficult. And the guys who have played well in the past, and then you've got Morris and Beasley who have, I mean, I think easily outplayed Harrison Barton so far this year in the aggregate. And then you look at, you know, do we need more play starters like Barton? Do we need play finishers? Harris is kind of that, but the ball's going to have to go in for him more than it has so far this season. I would not want to have to sort this out personally. 
and i don't envy mike malone especially when you've got all these interpersonal things to deal with as well you can't necessarily just do what you think is best so it's going to be tough i'm very curious to see i mean they're 42 and 20 they're having a wonderful season if they end up losing in the first round i don't want i'm not going to say that this season is a failure because they were held the number two seed for a lot of the year and stuff like that i mean that's you know i think when you consider the big steps forward that murray and Jokic and some of their young guys have made this year and some of the injury problems that they've had you would have to be pleased with things anyway but it's gonna be difficult all right let's finish it up here dallas mavericks the mavericks are now 27 and 35 three and seven since the last 15 and 60 including that just crushing at the hands of the memphis grizzlies they're 23rd in net rating 19th in offense 17th in defense kind of amazing that they're they're meaningfully better in both offense and defense than net rating i think it's because there are a lot of teams in the same area 538 projects them to win 35 games which would put them 13th in the western conference and would be the the tied for the seventh worst record in the nba they'd be tied with the wizards for seventh and yeah i mean that gets into gets into a mix of actually the thing that i wanted to to start with you is a question that for real jam radio this weekend i talked to dan feldman our friend and you know creator of bucks here and so many other things and a question i asked him as we were kind of spitballing about what we're watching the rest of the season was how would you approach the rest of the season in terms of their draft pick now there there are a lot of different ways to think about this but the basic ones are losing games makes it more likely that they will retain the pick but it also makes it more likely that they will give up a better pick to the atlanta hawks now you can also say that why does that second part matter at all though like why is it (laughs) i agree with you that it shouldn't other than optics and like mark cuban is not going to fire himself and i don't think he's going to fire donnie nelson over this to be damn sure especially considering how happy they are with luca and and you can also make the case that you know like you could be indifferent to winning and losing games you know play your play the guys that you think give you the best for evaluation purposes and if that helps you or not but then that gets into something that they've done actually i don't want to i was going to get into a separate topic but i actually just want to hear the answer to that sorry what was the question again so how would you how would you approach winning games games like would you be kind of trying to lose you know i'm not saying like sit luca or something like that but like playing suboptimal lineups in order to maximize your your draft pick value oh i think it's essential that they do as much as they can to keep that draft pick. now they're going to be relying on getting into the top four in the lottery regardless there's they're not going to get into that position that top five is just too far below them memphis is is below them as well teams like washington are going to get into that mix but they'll have a decent chance still of popping into the top four and they should they're right in that range where if you drop down your odds of getting in the top four reduce significantly so i think it's incredibly important especially because it's not like they've been playing well already anyway since the trade you know negative 7.4 net rating since the porzingis trade even lucas at negative 6.9 so i think it's really important to keep this pick because there are with porzingis back they've got 30 million in cap space this summer they could really get a lot better next year and this is their last chance to really add to this team without having to use cap space part of why i was a little low on the trade and i felt better about it after they moved barnes was that it didn't look like cap space was going to be a huge option for them to add to this team but yeah i mean i I think it's imperative that they tank and try and keep their pick it's one of the more important things they could do because uh and then that pushes all the other obligations back a little bit too which you know doesn't hurt either those are those two picks that they uh forked over to the knicks the basic numbers on it so like let's say let's say the range is they could have the eighth worst record or they could get let's say they could get all the way down to six i think 
5 is unreasonable, as you've said. If they are at the 8th worst record, they have a 26% chance of keeping that pick this year. If they drop to the 6th worst record, that goes up to 37.2. So a full a full 11% more likely. Yay! They, I mean, that's not... I mean, 1 in 3 is better than 1 in 4. I mean, it'd be better sure. than 1 in 3. And the opportunity cost is not that great. They're, you know, they're not so good a team that playing inferior lineups would would like you know be detrimental to Doncic's long-term development and they still have plenty to evaluate with guys like Maxi Kleba and Dorian Finney-Smith both of whom are unrestricted for agent contracts and it also helps that the guy you got in the trade you know is going back to the Warriors with Bogut we you t- talked about the pick protection there the Warriors acquired Andrew Bogut at that trade deadline and then he couldn't play for them and so that helped kind of drag things down a little bit they kept the pick that became of all people Harrison Barnes and one way to be kind of coy about it that Dallas could do that is by playing Dirk more because, you know, he is... Yeah, they already moved into the starting lineup. Yeah, though incidentally, I think the last time I checked it, Dirk and Luka's minutes together have actually been pretty positive. But then you think about the, the defensive limitations of, of playing Dirk, you know, serious minutes, especially if you're squaring his minutes up with opposing starters, that that can kind of get you where you want to go. Doncic, since the trade, 24 points, 9 rebounds, seven assists only 32 minutes he's getting all he can eat although the minutes are a little bit lower than you might expect that they have gotten blown out to some degree that's keeping that down but nobody and and that's the highest number of minutes on the team second highest is uh tim hardaway who has not played particularly well dorian finney smith struggling from three as a starter maxi klepa was a plus minus darling he's got a negative 10 net rating since the trade in terms of the new guys courtney lee only nine minutes a game in seven games Uh, hasn't really done much at all Uh, i don't know whether just remember he had that weird neck issue the thought is that lee could actually help a team but uh, and maybe that's why he's playing so little who knows uh trey burke 15 minutes a game 23 percent usage 54 percent true shooting but negative 13 net rating hardaway negative five net rating he he hasn't shot it particularly well from three uh, down about 32 percent but he's been their kind of number two guy in terms of usage behind luca and then justin jackson only 11 minutes a game it seemed like he was really just a throw in to that barnes trade i I don't think they're particularly high on him it it would seem like and and he has not shot it particularly well anything else on these guys or should we call it quits here one more thing i'll say i I hadn't looked at this until now but good news for those who want dallas to lose a bunch of games basically until the end of march they only have a couple against teams that are not trying so even though you know like or some of these teams aren't the best of the best like you know Brooklyn's had some some recent struggles that Brooklyn's still obviously trying to win San Antonio the only ones that are exceptions that in mid-March they play Cleveland and New Orleans both of those games are in Dallas I could see them winning and granted Dallas also beat Indiana this week so like they can beat teams that are trying but they get into that and then at the end of the season though they play Minnesota Memphis Memphis Phoenix those are four of their last five games that might end up that might end up being some uh, tank glory Memphis Memphis will be yeah those games could determine the 6-7 yeah Dallas and Memphis have had some uh, the last day of the 2017 season Dallas and Memphis had like quite the tank off game get to know uh Daryl McCann uh Ryan Brokoff actually playing 11 minutes a game since the trade Salah Mejri playing 15 minutes a game they actually have some depth on this team so maybe they're gonna have to bring in some two-way guys and really try and lose because by the time we get to April they will 
will be trying to lose i i would be this organization is uh very experienced at that and they would be fools not to as we talked about just a little bit ago uh, anything else to talk about before we go uh, not really. I can mention again the the Real Jam Radio podcast with Dan Feldman. That was fun. I'll have a couple pieces coming out over the next little while for The Athletic, but none of them are all the way ready yet. I've been working on two of them and, you know, they're they're in process. So we'll do that. Oh, yeah. The other thing we should mention, the NBA cast. Okay. We'll be back on probably Tuesday nights. Hopefully this can tide you over. Until then, have a good night.